I was so broke, I couldn't afford to keep pursuing music, like, without getting evicted. Three-time Grammy winner, lead singer of One Republic. He's written hits for some of the biggest names in the music industry. Yeah. Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Kelly Clarkson, Jonas Brothers, Ryan Tedder! How many songs did you say that you had to write until you felt comfortable in the studio and then got your first placement? I could tell you the first song I ever wrote, I was on the rim of the Grand Canyon, on an Indian reservation, oh, that's crazy. making on a, on a landline phone call, wow. this close to quitting. I was at my wit's end. If you want to know this, the most scared I've ever been, it's actually on camera. Me and Pharrell performing on stage saw who was in the audience. The front row went Beyonce, Jay-Z, Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, and I completely shit my pants. There's at least one day a week where I'm like, man, I don't need this. Like, <laughs> screw it. Every time it's like, I want to walk away at least once a week. Super exciting today because we have the one and only Ryan Tedder. Ta-da! <laughs> Welcome back to Behind the Wall. What we're trying to do is we're trying to interview 100 singers, songwriters, and producers to help future music creatives, just creatives in general. But also I was thinking about this and it's crazy to me that just three years ago I was working a job I hated. I got laid off from that job made a couple videos, got really good at it, and somehow I am now interviewing one of the people I've always looked up to. <laughs> so this is just, this is just like a, I just wanna say this real quick, don't be afraid to try stuff, don't be afraid to do stuff, because I, facts. I, I don't think this would have ever happened if I didn't at least try and start and fail. Yeah, done. that's how I got started. One day I was in New York City, standing in, in uh, Times Square, I was staring up at the TRL building when MTV was TR, everything TRL. Thousands of girls outside, NSYNC was inside. I was there on spring break with a friend, sleeping in the basement of a church, and I stood outside and just kind of waited outside the door, and then I got asked to come up. How old were you? 19. I got 20 maybe. I get asked to come up, and on the countdown, they asked me to announce the number one video, which happened to be Britney Spears, Hit Me Baby One More Time, wow. replacing The Offspring. And I'm on camera on my favorite show in the middle of pop culture of the universe, which was Carson Daly and TRL, right? And I remember sitting in the stage going, no one knew that I could sing or write or anything. And I remember thinking, in the next two years, I want to be performing on this stage. And I think it was less than two, yeah, for sure, less, 18 months later, I entered a contest and I ended up getting flown to New York, performing on that stage and won a record deal on TRL. Incredible. Yeah, so it was the same deal. I, and I also was working a job I hated. What job was it? I was, I was, I love waiting tables, but I was waiting tables for working for a manager who was insufferable. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that'll do it. It was, that it same. was make my life living hell on, on all of us. He was just not a happy person. And so he, he just threw it all at us. Yeah. And that made you want to like, I want to work for myself kind of thing, right? Oh yeah. That. Well, I knew that I was never going to, the last job I had was at Pottery, working at Pottery Barn. Okay. And I, they threatened to fire me. So true story. I don't even think I've told the story before. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> Zoom. Um, uh, I was working at Pottery Barn in Nashville, making nothing. And um, shout out Pottery Barn. Um, and I, the contest that I entered, which took place at a Planet Hollywood, um, was happening uh, like in a week. Uh -huh. And I had written an original song that I wanted to enter into it. 
and the performance conflicted with my work schedule. And so I asked one of the other employees to swap schedules with me on that day. They agreed to it. The floor manager found out, came back and was like, hey, I hear you're, you know, I make the schedules for a reason. You can't just go switching that. I was like, yes, but my career, just so you know, I'm not trying to be a manager, no disrespect. My career isn't with Pottery Barn, it's music. And she goes, well, I don't know what to tell you, but you can't have that day off, so I, you know, we're, we had a problem. Wow. And I was like, yeah, we do, I quit. There you and go. She's like, she's like, seriously? And I go, I quit. And I took the thing off and literally set it on a counter. I was like, I'll be by to pick up my check. And that was it. I love it. I love yeah. the, the when, when I when I first uh, got laid off from my job, my friend said to me, he said, congratulations. And I thought that was like super weird vibe to say at first. But he's like, I, I knew you were on something better now. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the way it works. Take the, take the shot. So for those who don't know, Ryan, lead singer of One Republic. It's too late for the Also has written some of the biggest songs ever. And we're gonna let it I'm a sucker for you. But I wanted to ask an important question, and that is how many songs did you say that you had to write until you felt comfortable in the studio and then got your first placement? Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Um it's a good question. <clears throat> I could tell you the first song I ever wrote. I was 15, and then I, I, but I really didn't become remotely, I would say, listenable until I was 17. And I would go, I would skip class at college, and I wasn't a music major, I was business and advertising, and I would skip classes that I didn't like and go to the piano rooms in the music department. And I would tape the window with paper so nobody could see that. I was in there because you, you weren't allowed in there if you weren't in music. And I would, I would write uh, consistently, I'd say, four or five days a week. And on the weekends, I'd go in there for five, six hours. Um, I probably wrote, and all I was doing was trying to write what sounded like songs that were on the radio. Because mm. this is the 1999, right? This is 99, 2000. I ain't worried. I ain't worried. So this is like radio is, pop radio is everything. Top 40 radio is everything. We don't, we don't have streaming services or any of that stuff. Sure. So I'm hearing what's in the top 40 and I'm trying to write those hit records, you know, and at the time it was a lot of pop music. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was everything from like NSYNC and Backstreet, they were dominating everything to like, uh, man, I'm trying to think, like, oh, the, um, the Cranberries, that's a, predates it a little bit, but um, uh, what's the name of them? They're from, they're from Sweden, the Cardigans. There you go. Okay. That was going to kill me. The Cardigans. Okay. So music at the time was light and pop and, and ba ballads were crushing too. So I'm sitting in here trying to write all this stuff. I'm listening to Diane Warren's songs, other big songwriters, mm -hmm. David Foster songs, um, Babyface, and I'm deconstructing them. I'm like listening to them, learning the chord sequence, mm -hmm. then like turn the music off. I would memorize the chords and then I would write new melodies and lyrics over it. They were trash, absolute trash. Every song I did was so cheesy in my mind mm -hmm. now, like nothing I would write now. But you could tell that like there was like the possibility of something good coming from it, right? Anybody who would hear it would be like, yo, you could do this for a living, you know, but there's other friends in college and, and my mom. So like, 
I just kept doing it, but I wasn't really telling anybody. I was very reluctant to show anybody because I was obsessed with the idea that I didn't want to be embarrassed. And the first time I ever performed anything or, or publicly played a song for anybody, I wanted it to sound like what was on the radio. So I did my like 10,000 hours or 20,000 hours cloaked in darkness, like in like cut off from the world because I, I didn't have the balls to suck in public. That's yeah. really the truth. And I would say that I, I probably wrote, I probably wrote somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred songs, which isn't really that much, but probably a hundred songs before I got my first placement. Um, and it took me, I don't count, the time that I was in college, I wasn't pursuing a professional career at that time, mm -hmm. so I don't count that. Um, but from the moment that I graduated, I moved to New York City oh, two weeks later and was pursuing music, and then Nashville. Um, and it took me, I'll tell you, two years after college, I think that's right, my first cut was that I remember. My first cut that I remember was Bubba Sparks. It's called She Tried. And I'm actually, nobody, it's funny, very few people have caught this, but I'm actually singing the chorus with a country accent. She tried to me. And it's the first song that I'm actually featured on too. So, and it's crazy. Yeah, I don't even know if they credit me, but like it, it's, I'm, I'm the one singing it and I wrote it. And that was my first cut. And that paid for me, that song I made like, $7,500, which is very specific, but I remember getting a check for $7,500 for singing on it, and I used that to move to Los Angeles. And Crazy. 2003. So there you have it. Yeah, that, that was exactly two years from the time that I started pursuing it. Amazing. And then all along comes Bleeding Love <laughs> and Apologize. It's too late to apologize. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah, that was, that was a wild year. Yeah. But before that, was yeah. there any like uh, traction? Was there any like, yeah. people calling and everything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before that, so if you cut to 2003, I moved to LA. Um, and by, let's see here, February of 04, so what is that, eight months or whatever, six months, um, I was flat broke. I was getting eviction notices from my landlord, and I was a PA on the set of music videos and television wow. commercials. So I was doing Chevy commercials on the, in the Grand Canyon. I was doing like, um, you know, I'm trying to remember, I did like, uh, what's that guy who did, Twista? Make you celebrity overnight. Yeah. Like I did, I did a music video with him. I did a Microsoft Xbox commercial. Like I was just a PA because I needed the money. And then I, I sold my first beat. I was producing mostly hip hop at the time. Okay. But, but I had spent two years Timbaland saw me on that MTV show, tracked me down a year later, and, and in 2002 signed me to a production deal with him. Interesting. From 02 to 04, I was based out of Nashville, Miami, New York, wherever Timbaland was, that's where I was. I was with him the day he made Cry Me a River. He, play, crazy. he played me the record right after it was finished. Did you know it was a smash when you heard it? Instant. And the, the problem with Cry Me a River is it was so trans, transformative, it didn't sound like anything else. Yeah. So it's, not only was I sure that it was a hit, I was so jealous of every aspect of it. I was like, I have to, I want to do songs like this. Like I was so obsessed. I was with them. I was texting with uh, Missy Elliott two, two nights ago and I reminded her, I was like, I was in the room when you made Under Construction. Give me all your numbers so I, can phone I was the like skinny white kid in the corner. I was the only white person in the room. 
in the corner just sitting here, not on my phone because guess what? There was no TikTok or social media. So you would, when, back in the day when you had to kill time, you literally sat there. <laughs> you know what the, inter the entertainment was? Literally, can I count the <laughs> light sockets in the room? Okay, I've done it, or I'm gonna count them again. Like you just, you had nothing but time. And um, so I watched Timbaland do that stuff for two years and got to LA and then this artist named Kylie Dean who was signed to Tim's label. Mm -hmm. I wrote a song called Don't Wanna Be Alone and I sold the beat. We call, like, at the time it was like, literally I was making beats. And then I would, they would ask me, yo, can you write a hook on it? Sure, so I'd write, I'd write the chorus too. And this one I wrote, produced 100% of this record and Interscope calls my manager and says, we'll give him 10 grand right now and 10 when the record's mixed. And I was on the rim of the Grand Canyon on an Indian reservation, oh, that's crazy. making on a on a landline phone call wow. with my manager, like this close to quitting. I was I was at my wits end. Like I was like I was so broke, I couldn't afford to keep pursuing music, like without getting evicted. And that day, uh, it was the last day I was on this commercial shoot, and he calls me. He's like, I got ten grand coming to you next week, and that's the moment that my whole life changed. And Amazing. then and then I parlayed that into, I did a record for Tattoo. The, you know, all the things she said, all the things she So I did the B-side to that song, Wow! and it went platinum. So then that was another little, okay, I got some money now. I'm, I'm paying for One Republic rehearsals. I'm buying gear for the band, putting it on my credit card, and like, and funding One Republic during the night, selling beats, making beats and selling songs during the day. And I, I knew one person at one record label, which was Interscope. I, I walked in. And I walked into Interscope and then basically went around the, the label just introducing myself to everybody and trying to get as many contacts as I could. And then after, after that song, I started doing, I did um, Step Up, uh, the first, you know, the Step Up, the movie franchise? Yeah, yeah. I did half the music in the first movie. So that was a big, I did tracks with Young Blo uh, the Youngbloods out of um, uh, Atlanta and a bunch of other records. And then... I did like uh, Cheaper by the Dozen. I did music for that. And I was just doing TV and film placements to like keep the lights on. And then out of nowhere, I landed J-Lo's first single. 2006, first half of 2006, Do It Well. Do it, do it, you do it, do it, you're doing it well. And I, I wrote and produced 100% of it. That same month, I landed Natasha Bedingfield, Love Like This with Sean Kingston. Crazy. And so I had those two singles come out in 2006 and then immediately followed by Bleeding Love. And immediately followed by Apologize. And then immediately followed by Stop and Stare. And then, and then Halo. And it was like, at that point, it just became like a waterfall. And, but it was a lot of just nickel and diming. I would take any session, I would, I would, I mean, I'm leaving out a bunch of other songs like Hilary Duff and, and uh, uh, I'm spacing on her name from High School Musical. But like, anyway, there's a lot of singles that came out that weren't as big. Um, but all of them kept me, like gave me just enough income to keep doing what I was doing. And what's uh, incredible is, is so much has happened <laughs> since then. So many songs have happened, yeah. so much incredible songs that you've collabed on, produced, executive produced, and now we're at this point with like a new generation of music, new yeah. technology, new oh, yeah. things happening. Um, and one of the songs that's killing it for you guys is I Ain't Worried. But I ain't worried about it right now. Yeah. I would love to hear about how that song came about. Yeah. Um, 
I ain't worried is crazy uh, how, like, it took me by surprise, you know, catching, catching a hit in 2022 is 10 times harder than um, 2007, 2008. 2012, 2016. There's so much more like competition and 75,000 songs a day uploaded to Spotify. And that's just Spotify. That's just Spotify. That's insane. TikTok, uh, 99% of all hits now are generated or or it reinforced by TikTok. If it doesn't go if it doesn't go viral in a video, so it's not just about writing the best the biggest song or the the best song, right? It doesn't that doesn't equal a hit anymore. So all my years of like writing and networking and expertise and stacking the room with the best writers on earth means nothing if the song doesn't go off on TikTok. And so that's a whole new dynamic that's entered into the equation. Crazy. So, you know, for me, I, you know, to be like full disclosure, I have to write five to six times as many songs now as I did five years ago to have probably one third to one half the success that I had five years ago. And I'm better now than I was five years ago. So that's the heart. That's the most frustrating part. Um, a lot more people in the rooms so a lot, nowadays. A lot right? more people in the rooms too. Like if you look at some of my my biggest hits, I owned a hundred percent of them. Yeah. Or sixty five percent, you know, or eighty nine, ninety percent, and that's next to impossible now. I, with One Republic, I could still put out a song that I did, and it would be fine. Or if I do a solo thing, whatever. But the average hit has five writers on it now. For sure. Um, Especially with streaming today. With it's streaming, completely different. Yeah, completely different. And everything. Yeah, you know, the good news is if you catch a hit on radio now. You're gonna, they will play it twice as much as they played it. To give you an example, Apologize, when it, it broke the record for the most streams in one week in U.S. history, and then Bleeding Love broke that record like two months later. Crazy. When it broke it, it was 10,993, uh, I said streams, spins, radio spins. It got played 10,993 times in one week. That was the all-time record. Lizzo, About Damn Time, 19,000 spins in one week. It's about damn on, yeah, on, um, on on the radio. On the radio. Wow. And that's still the highest. The way you make most of our money because streaming doesn't still pay enough for writers. So radio is still like the the end game. Which is funny because most people don't sit around l discovering new music anymore. Radio is not a place you go to discover new music. For sure. But it pays a thousand times more than streaming or sales. So is that from performance royalties? Performance royalties. So we're all of us are sitting around chasing that elusive radio hit, and the other thing is like the top five um the top five songs of all time at radio at u.s radio that have that, that stayed in the top 10 for the longest amount of weeks all came out in the last two years wow um that's what i want little nas x my song is number four most 33 weeks in the top 10 number number one is um stay by uh, no, uh, stay by um, oh, Kidleroy Kid yeah, and Bieber. Yeah. That has um, uh, that was forty weeks, forty weeks at number forty weeks inside the top ten, and then behind oh. that is Blinding Lights, thirty nine weeks, and then behind that is Circles, Post Malone. Thirty-six weeks Crazy. or thirty-four weeks, and then we're thirty-three weeks. And so, if you catch a hit now, it it theoretically you will do much better. Like financially, you'll make more now than you would five years ago because radio is just churning these things over and over and over again. Because once they catch a real one, they don't want to let go of it. It's also way harder For to sure. get to number one or in the top five now than it's ever been. Um, so I ain't worried. For me, is like a unicorn. It's like for us, for One Republic. 
the cool thing too about there's a lot of downsides you know with TikTok now influencing the music industry so hard it's so much harder to get a hit right the upside is there's no more ageism ageism is gone doesn't exist interesting and when I started man the moment you turned 30 a clock started ticking in terms of like top 40 relevance pop relevance okay. and now you look at the musical landscape the biggest DJ in the world is 53 years old Tiesto did not know he was 53. 53. Yeah. And Abba's coming back and like Abba's coming back. Mac Elton and like... John has just had the big one of the biggest hits of his life with Dua Lipa. Cold Heart. Cold Heart. Yeah. Crazy. With the Now version. And then uh, you look at um I did not know it was called Now. That's yeah. funny. I always pronounce it's, it P N. No, it's it, I think they're they're, they're pronounced Now. <laughs> and um clever way of, sp of spelling Now. And then you look at Kate Bush. Yeah, running, running up, that, up that, hill. that hill. That's 100% her. That's 100% her. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. She's going to have a good day at the office. 100%. Yeah. She's, but um, anyway, the point being, the, the, the plus and the minus of, of social media steering music now is it is way harder. Everybody's guessing. If you think you know which song is the hit, you're wrong 99% of the time. Um, your ears will deceive you because it's not just about the, it's not about the best song anymore. That's the truth. Um, it still needs to be a good song for sure to go all the way, but it's not about the best song anymore. If Definitely. that makes sense, and you know, obviously, social media is now is critical. So for I ain't worried. I said it before, but like, I love the song. Do I think it would have connected had it not gone off on TikTok? Probably not. Not in the way that it has now. Um, Miles Teller's abs, shirtless Miles Teller doing this. I, is That's who, who went viral, I'm right? gonna, No, I'm actually sending his abs a bottle of Dom Perignon. I, I, bought, I already bought a bottle of champagne for his abs. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait for him to pop that, pop that cork. I wanted to gift right. your abs <laughs> a bottle of champagne. Thank you. Thank you so much Woo! for everything you've done for One Republic and I Am Worried. I appreciate it. As a spokesperson for his abs, uh, we're so appreciative. We never thought this moment would come, but we're so excited to share this moment together. You know what? It's a moment that I'm never going to forget. <laughs> Cuties. One of the big pluses for social media for me is actually like how this all happened. And that was because of the video that yeah. I made about you. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard one of the biggest songwriters in the world. I would love to hear your side of it because I know mine. Yeah, my side of it is uh, someone that we know mutually um, uh, who owns a Bev canned wine company, um, Alix Peabody. Uh, she randomly texts me and was like, have you seen this video? It's going off on TikTok and you're in it. And she knew you. And I clicked on it and watched it. And I was like, oh, I'm getting trolled. Let's just say Ryan makes very interesting TikToks. What is this? <laughs> what is this? It kind of makes TikToks like a dad. And what I mean by that is like, for example. Hey y'all, back on TikTok. I was like, but it's actually, it's actually kind of cool, like in a, in a good way. But this is the actual Ryan Tedder, and he only has 3,000 followers. So I thought, how funny would it be if we just blew up Ryan's TikTok account? And he has no idea why. So I'm going to tag Ryan in the comments. And if you could go to his profile and follow, like his content, or comment on it, I know we can make Ryan the next big TikToker. I was like, that's, that's wild, crazy. And I didn't think anything of it. And then that night... I opened up my TikTok. I think I had 3,900, 3,500 followers. 3,800. There you go, 3,800 followers. I have a screenshot still. I kept telling myself every day, Brian, it's time to get active on TikTok. You like, stop. You know it's... I use TikTok to like find other talent, find other artists, find writers, that type of thing. But I wasn't, I wasn't using it 
as an artist, which was idiotic. And like One Republic was. One Republic was, yeah, but I have more followers, like almost twice as many as they do now, thanks to you. Um, but yeah, we're using, One Republic's using it. Um, long story short, that night I go on and I was actually right over there and I'm looking at it and I go, or I was downstairs and I go, I have 68,000 followers. I have not been really using TikTok like I should and somehow overnight I have 68,000 followers that came out of nowhere. Trying to figure that out. And I was going, that's, I just kept going, this is impossible. And I'm looking down, I'm going, I know I didn't have more than 4,000 like this morning. What in the hell is going on? That night I go to bed, I wake up and I had 170,000 followers. Insane. Then it went 270 and it just kept going. And I- Now it's almost at 900,000. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'll probably hit 900 by the weekend. Like it's crazy. Insane. It's insane. I, I made that video simply because uh, I had this idea that was basically, I'm, I'm trying to shine a light on a lot of people that are behind the scenes yeah. for music. Yeah. Be able to show people a different side of the entertainment industry. And what was funny to me was, you're someone that, that I, I, I have a vision board of people like Jimmy Iovine's on it, Tim Balloon's on it, Chris Martin's on it, you're also on it. People that, that I aspire like to have a like success similar to yeah. with like business and everything that you've got going on. And I just thought it was super interesting that you're this incredibly talented guy that's posting these kinds of videos. Yeah. It was almost funny to do it. And Justin Tranner, um, when we were talking, said something super funny. It was like, say you in such like a positive way roasting Ryan Tedder's TikTok was maybe the best thing I've seen all year. Because not only, because it was, was so sweet, but still accurate. <laughs> that was that was one of my favorite videos. And he I, loved it, I've right? ever, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's such a self, he's obviously a fucking genius. I mean, if you write Halo. And it was, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that it worked out because I wasn't expecting it to do well. All yeah. of a sudden, I see you in two minutes, you go from 3,000 followers <laughs> to 6,000. I'm like, this yeah. is gonna explode. Justin's hilarious. <laughs> Justin, actually, uh, I got a question. Okay, great. A question from Justin would be, what, which song do you think is Justin's favorite that you wrote? That's what I want, Little Nas X. Older one. Okay. By Beyonce. That's a hint. Halo. XO. My favorite Tedder song is actually Beyonce XO. You love me which is an underrated masterpiece. Yeah, there XO. it is, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I love XO. Yeah, I actually have the original demo of it. I may release, I, I like. I love, I, the, I love when artists yeah, release demos. I think, I, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna release my demo of it. Um, I may put it on our next album. Um, I gotta figure cool. out clearances and stuff like Sweet. that, but it sounds wildly different from her version. So yeah, that's awesome though. One of the things My I, favorite, well, it's probably too late because you've already, already interviewed him. I was gonna say, I, I don't think he could guess my favorite song that he's ever written. What is it? Um, it's Lose You to Love Me. To love, love, yeah. Selena. That's Monster Smash. Agree. Monster, what a record. Favorite song by her? What a record, yeah. Brilliant. I'm gonna write this down. Yeah, that's a, that's a uh, there are songs that you have come out or that you hear, sometimes you, you're lucky enough to write them that make other writers like wish they had been in the room. You know what I mean? That's one of those. I was like, oh man, I wish I, I, w I would have loved to have written that song. You know, that's like Gautier, uh, somebody I used to know. That to me is like- One of the best songs ever. One of the best songs ever written. Yeah, ever. I wish I wrote that wow. and I wish I wrote Locked Out of Heaven. Does you make me feel 
Which, also incredible which, song. Which is also, by the way, biting somebody I used to know just a little bit. Watch. Uh, Didn't used to call me up. So you make it feel like. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a video right there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to start a lawsuit or anything. <laughs> I've already, that Lord knows I don't need that heat. Well, so one of, the, one of the things that I'm trying to do is show the music industry in, in a new and cool way. So I'm gonna show you this video because then it's gonna lead into something else. Yeah. Let's talk about the biggest band of today. Because I got to meet and interview them and I asked them the scariest question of my entire life. How many likes will this video have to get in order to sing on stage with you guys? But why is that? This is something I thought I'd never talk about on camera. You see, I was born with a medical condition that affected my life every day of my life. I wasn't able to do what everyone else could do. A lot of my childhood was spent in and out of hospitals. But the one thing that was able to help me get through it was music. And the band that helped me the most was Coldplay. <laughs> This music connected with me in a way nothing else did. And I used to spend hours learning their songs, playing piano, pretending like I was on stage. And then I turned 14, while other kids wanted to be NBA players, I wanted to sing on stage with Coldplay. So I made a note, and I said if this ever happened, I would give it to Coldplay on stage. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna ask Coldplay the scariest question of my entire life. But here's the thing, I'm actually super afraid to ask this question, but I know if I don't, I would be letting down that young kid who wasn't afraid to fail. You see, this isn't just about singing on stage. It's about showing myself and everyone else that fear doesn't have to stop you. So why not go for your music was some of the music that helped bring inspiration to me and it inspired me to create art. So I wanted to say first of all thank you so much for that opportunity. Oh, thank you man, it's and nice both ways. I had this dream, so a long time ago I, I made a note and I wrote it on a piece of paper when I was like 14. And I wrote, I will sing on stage with Coldplay at some point in my life. Okay. So this is something that they do on TikTok. How many likes will this video have to get? in order to sing on stage with you guys for like 30 seconds or even 10 seconds. So what, give me an amount of like, I don't know about how many likes. On so average, I, <laughs> you can be This is great. You, you can say Chris as, is so as nice. many as you want. You to sing on stage. Yeah. Which song? The Scientist. Oh, that's tough, man. Or Fix You, or any, any, any of them, honestly. Uh, does it have to be today? No. Okay. I'm gonna say 100,000. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. And then we'll do it on the C stage. We'll make it work. Incredible. Okay. Appreciate it. Hold me to that. That's great. So that's amazing. As someone who has been performing yeah. all of your life and someone who's never sang in a stadium, someone who's never used in ears, I wanted yeah. to ask, what piece of advice do you have going into that? And that's gonna be happening. <clears throat> That's incredible. I love that he's like, how many likes is in the flights, man? I don't know. You tell me. It's, it's pick a high number. Um, uh, I, I would say my advice is because uh, stage fright is what kept me from... Stage fright is what made me a great songwriter because I was I knew that I could sing, but I was too afraid to do it in front of people. I did not know that. And, and I was in musical theater and, and acting and stuff before I was really a songwriter. So I was terrified of performing in front of people, um, even though I knew that I could very likely outsing, like, I could outsing anybody in my choir, and I was like, I should be the one singing, but I was also at the same time afraid to do it. Um, and the thing that got me over that, you know, countless performances live, and nothing's more terrifying than doing the Today Show at six in the morning on live television, muscle memory. So whatever, whatever, whatever uh, the song is, 
over practice it over practice it so that when the fear kicks in because it will kick in your your muscle memory kicks in your body takes over and your brain can be absent you literally even if you're not there you're still hitting those notes and if you want to know this the most scared i've ever been it's actually on camera it's well it's a tie one is the trl performance mm -hmm. the freelance talent search, but the most intimidated, and I don't get nervous anymore. Stadiums, uh, arenas, like in front of camera, festivals, cameras, you, yeah. what have you. I don't, I don't, I don't get nerves. Anyway, just testing. Um, but what I'll tell you, uh, I did a performance with Pharrell. Ladies and gentlemen, Pharrell Williams and Ryan Tedder. Uh, Stevie Wonder, um, Music Cares. It was the Grammy like the Grammy every year, salute to Stevie Wonder. It was a salute to Stevie Wonder, probably five or six, six years ago, I think. And we did Don't You Worry About a Thing. Don't you worry about a thing, mama. Me and Pharrell performing on stage, the front row went Beyonce, Jay-Z, Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, his entire extended family, the Obamas. That was, that was the front row. I didn't know, I didn't consider that I would be able to see everybody so clearly. And I've been performing for years at this point. This is probably 2016, 2017. And this is the hardest Stevie Wonder song there is to sing. Mm -hmm. it's, it is insane. And so I practiced it for seven days straight. And on the day of the performance, I sat in the car and, and, and literally kicked everyone out. And I sat in the car and for 90 minutes, I sang it over and over and over and over. And then I got on stage and saw who was in the audience and I completely shit my pants. Like not literally, but like I mentally shit my pants. I've never been so, so scared in my life. And I've got Pharrell, who's a, de a dear friend of mine who I don't want to let down. And when I got on stage, my brain shut off completely because I was racked with nerves. And then all of those rehearsals, like going over and over, I went into autopilot and it's one of the best, probably the best TV performance I've ever done. If you watch it, you would have no idea. It's um, just type in Ryan Tedder, Pharrell Williams in YouTube and it'll sit Stevie Wonder and it'll pull up. I'm singing my ass off. I hit every note. I still don't know how I did it because I was terrified. Yeah. And Beyonce gave me like a, you know, it was crazy. So speaking of all that, over yeah. the next year, I'm trying to show behind the scenes of the music industry in a really mm. cool and fun way. Yeah. And one of the things I've always wanted to show is behind the scenes of creating a song. Mm. So to bring that to here, um, how many likes to write a song <laughs> with you and then show the behind the scenes of how it was done. Uh, how many likes is a good amount of likes? <laughs> I don't know. What, give me an amount of likes. I don't know about how many likes. On average, I... <laughs> now I'm on the spot because like, I feel like I can't say what he said because that's aiming too high because I'm not as, as, as big as, as Chris Martin or Coldplay. So I feel like I've got to get 75,000 likes. Incredible. Is that, is that achievable? I don't know, we'll see. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's do it. All right. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. A question that I was also trying to understand, you do a lot, and then from the Chainsmokers, they asked this too, and we are kind of the same question Alex asked this specifically. Yeah. How do you balance your life with family work and, and time and everything? Because you just do so much. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes not well is the answer, but I like think when, it, when, I'm do, when I'm balancing it well, I multitask a lot and I don't spend a lot of time. I don't really have a social life. So that's a big part. Mm. That's not totally true. My social life is if I'm going to dinner with my wife and friends, right? Um, I, I try to not work late more than one, one day a week. You just have an artist session sometimes, they go late, and, and it is what it is. I don't really go out. I'm not a, you know, I've, I've gone out enough time for 10 lifetimes. So when you remove just like the casual hangs and casual phone conversations, like uh, when I work out, you know, which I know Alex and Drew are, are, are big on fitness and stuff, I'm running through, the, through wherever, right, on a treadmill wherever, and I'm taking my phone calls that I need to do for that day that are non-music non related. It also helps with your just, yeah, like if you're running and controlling your breathing. So I'm like literally knocking out three phone calls on my run. And the people that I talk with that are all, all my, the business side of my life, they know that that's what I'm doing. Um, if I'm driving, I'm, taking, I'm killing a call because I don't want to do it at home. I still try to get home every day around between six and seven, which I think is a reasonable time. Um, and yeah, I don't waste I, waste, I waste so little time. I think that's the best way to put it. I waste so little time. I have a team of people around me. I've got uh, enough writers in my publishing company. So yeah, I would say how do I balance it is sometimes not well, most of the time pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm always striving to, to balance it like as best as possible. And I'm taking way more vacations. So now, like, I genuinely, that was my biggest, you know, I, because I, 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 I burned out in tw at the end of 2016 and in early 17 completely. I, we didn't promote Oh My My. I didn't tour it. I, like, I was so spent that, you know, I functionally removed myself from the music industry for probably half a year and questioned if I was going to go back into songwriting because I was so absolutely burnt with all of it you know because um, even at this stage in my career it's it's 95 percent disappointment five percent you know five percent like not disappointment is that how it's always been too it's way more no no it, it, it um artists have so much more all right I'll, how the best way for me to put this up until the last three years people such as myself other you know longer term big songwriter producers mm -hmm. We would get called in the 11th hour on huge pop artists weekly. Like, the album's pretty much done. Can you come in and, and beat everything or write the single? Like, and literally that's what I did. And that's what we did, right? The meaning of the community. And there were gatekeepers and levers, like, to get songs to become hits, right? Yeah. It was very much the best song wins. Uh, but at that time, if somebody told you that you had the third single on an album, you had the third single. The CD comes out, or it goes to iTunes, right? Um, or streaming. So, social media isn't influencing single selection at this point, back in 2016, 2017. And so if, if I had the fifth single on a Maroon 5 album, like, Love Somebody. Love somebody. That was the fifth single. That was played so much. They t oh, that got played so much. It's, it is crazy. Another little insider tip, pro tip. You want the first single or the last single? Still? Still. Okay. Because whatever, and now if you get a song like Stay, stay, stay. 
or heat waves, you can't switch singles for nine months to a year. Dang. Nine months to a year. You know, enemy. Imagine Dragons, Justin Tranner's uh, song. Great record. That song, I was with Dan Reynolds at the EMAs in, in Budapest the week that song blew up. They stayed on that, they did not switch singles or release Bones, and we're on the same label, so I know the release is happening, for six or seven months later. Um, so you don't wanna get caught in the middle as a writer because the first single is gonna get the biggest push from the label, the last single is going to get the longest uninterrupted runway at radio and streaming. So for instance, I'm like beyond grateful that that's what I want. My Little Nas X record is number four all, of all time in the top 10 at radio because it was the last single. If that had come before, if that had come after Montero, if it had gone Montero, that's what I, that's what I want into the um, Jack Harlow record. I forget the name of that. Um, What's the big one? Dun, 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 dun. Like, Industry, no. Industry Baby. Okay, so it, it, watch this. If it had gone Montero, that's what I want, Industry Baby, the label would have had to shift the levers on my single and say, all right, we need you to focus on Industry Baby now. And that would have been the song that would have been most likely, okay. you know, sitting in the top 10 for you know, months and months and months and months. Same with Maroon 5, Love Somebody. Somebody. Same with Kelly Clarkson, Already Gone. I could go like on my, oh, yeah. I've had a run of last single positions that have been a go an absolute godsend. Like you want, your ego wants the first single, your bank account wants the last single. Smart. okay. Yeah, <laughs> two different things. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just a lot harder. Sure. It's so much harder right now. So I'm, my skin is, I was lucky enough, I busted my ass early on, but I had success fairly quickly sure. um, and hustled. But I was, I would say the music industry prior to the last three years was once an artist or a label made a decision on a song, they wouldn't pivot or, or it was very difficult mm. to change your mind. Now, Monday they tell you you have the first single, Tuesday the song's not on the album. I've had that, I had that happen with three artists in the last four months where I had, I had the next single and everyone thought it was a smash. And then magically the phones, like all of a sudden I don't hear anything. I'm like, what's going on? Oh yeah, it's not coming out. By the way, she's probably not even gonna use it. Wow. All the time, all the time. It happens so much that there at least, there's at least one day a week where I'm like, man, I don't need this. Like <laughs> screw it. Every time it's like, I wanna walk away at least once a week at this stage of my career. Even with the success, I'm like, really? I wanna at least one day a week. Um, they still love it. That's the problem. Yeah. It's like trying, it's like I've never done cocaine, but I imagine that quitting it's pretty hard if you love it. Quitting cigarettes, right? Yeah, yeah. Most people that quit cigarettes, you ask them, like, do you miss it? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, that's the, it's like what it is. It's, my, it's the nicotine. So, yeah. Speaking of doing so much, you are going on tour soon. Yeah. I bought tickets to the Phoenix show. Amazing. And well, for what we did with Coldplay, would love to continue this and get like yeah, for you sure. Guys are open to yeah. that, doing like behind the scenes. Yeah, and it'll be 120 stuff. degrees, but yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they have AC on that stage though. They just don't turn it on until the showtime, so it's it'll be hot. But yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. One of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to help out anyone with a dream, anyone who wants to be a songwriter, anyone who is coming into this industry. What is 
a piece of advice you have for anyone out there who wants to yeah. not do the normal nine to five thing? Effort and work beats out talent 100% of the time. And that is that. the best piece of advice I can give is, is don't talk about it. Don't talk about it, do it. Like when anytime somebody's talking about how they're doing this and doing that, it means they're probably not putting in the actual hours. It's like, you have to do it. The most talented person in the room rarely is the one that wins. It's that simple. So. Boom. Yeah, boom. <laughs>